Hey, just a heads up, this episode was recorded about two and a half weeks ago. I was hoping to get the majority of the editing done and get it all uploaded by the time everybody ended up showing up at the same time, since I had family, friends, and my partner all showing up within the span of two weeks. Unfortunately, I didn't get around to getting the rest of it done until now, so I definitely apologize for that. So that's kind of why the majority of the news, the hockey, and the rest of the stuff sounds like it's a little bit out of date. So, yep, sorry for the delay. I'll have a new episode out next week. Cheers. Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. It's been, honestly, quite a good few days that have been lining up to have a good stretch towards the end of April, and now that we're leading into May, when spring is in full swing, we'll be able to go through and not only get our schedule set for not only the anime that we've decided to continue on with the rest of the season, but then also for whatever is going to be lining up in the sports world, mainly considering hockey has been on fire and just completely chaotic over the past couple of days. Avid hockey fan, I legitimately can't wait for Golden Kamui's Sadaru Noda to, like, relaunch his Hokkaido hockey manga, Supina Morata. Because, honestly, with what the NHL playoffs have been doing over the past two weeks has just been nothing short but throwing everybody's fucking brackets into chaos. The only two expected series that happened the way they were supposed to happen were basically Carolina beating the New York Islanders and Vegas end up beating the Winnipeg Jets. Those were completely expected outcomes. But essentially, with how the rest of these series have been going, you still have Edmonton handily dealing with LA in six games. You have Dallas completely over-muscling and outplaying Minnesota with no thanks to Yola Edinger's help, because that kid is an absolute stud, and he does not know the word pressure. Ab absolutely not. And then, unfortunately, considering that my partner is from New York, and although they are not necessarily a hockey fan... Both of their <laughs> teams ended up getting knocked out in the first round as New Jersey ended up very recently dismantling New York in their final game. Now, the two biggest series that ended up... Now, the last three series here just completely threw everything into disarray. I mean, not only do you have Florida dismantling the best regular season team in NHL history, the Boston Bruins and beating them in seven games, one of which basically specifically going into overtime. Seattle, who is an expansion team in the past two years that ended up beating the def defending Stanley Cup champions, Colorado, in seven games as well. But then the biggest shocker, slaying the dragon, ending the curse, getting the monkey off of their back, Toronto was headed for the, to the second round for the first time in 19 years. That is honestly the biggest surprise. Everybody was expecting the joke to continue, that we would bring it on to 20 straight seasons of them, not making it past the first round, making it a nice, even 10-set number, but absolutely not. Toronto, once again, in overtime, just ended all of that. Very similar to how Vancouver was finally able to beat Chicago after four straight first-round series losses against them in order to make it past, but now this is going on for even longer, and is basically setting the entire city on fire, which they really need, considering that their quote-unquote winter is now transitioning into spring and still is bringing them nothing but cold and wet winter weather. But honestly, they're, I'm, I'm going to give them that. Even if they just get 
knocked out in four games somehow by Florida, I they're honestly just going to be happy that they made it to the second round. But the reason why they are also so extremely happy to this point is that Florida is still a good team. They still ended up beating Boston. But considering how much of a bane Boston has been to the beliefs over the past decade, the fact that they don't have to deal with them and their huge record-breaking season, but this is going to be what you would assume is going to be a Maple Leafs-favored series against Florida, but considering what they've been able to do, especially with the resilience that Florida has been able to show against Boston, holy shit. I mean, this series could go either way. So that is probably going to be the most electrifying series of the four that we have left going into the quarters. I still think that Carolina is going to beat New Jersey, considering how strong their core is, but the only negative thing I can say about New Jersey is that they've got a relatively inexperienced team. They've got the youngest roster in the playoffs currently, but I still do believe that with the talent that has been slowly blossoming over the past couple of years, that if they make this series interesting and get that very necessary postseason experience, then they're going to be a ridiculous threat, either if they move on or leading into the next season. Of course, considering that the only Canadian team left in is Edmonton, I really do hope that they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to send Vegas packing, and Vegas will consistently not be able to make the finals again after their ridiculously like set-up underdog first season. So I'm just really hoping that Edmonton is able to pull that through. And probably, you know, the probably the second most interesting series that's going to be happening here is definitely Seattle versus Dallas. Because Dallas has a very strong core, not ridiculously top-heavy like, say, Toronto or Edmonton, but not only is their defense solid, their goaltender is just possibly the top two in that that is currently left inside of this, these playoffs. So that's going to be insanely interesting leading on through the rest of it because Seattle doesn't necessarily have anybody that is going to be extremely top tier that is going to be carrying through the rest of it. So they're going to have to focus on what they're able to do within their teamwork to kind of make the rest of their lines work and try to find a chink in Dallas's armor. So good on them, considering that they've been able to not only make it to the playoffs this season, but make it into the second round in their first playoffs appearance. So honestly, even though I'm incredibly close to their arena they're probably going to be the second or third team i'm going to be rooting for but the good news is is that at least throughout every single one of these series i have an outlier that i want to see win so i'm definitely glad to see how the rest of that's going to go and hopefully by the end of this year we'll be have able to have the opportunity to see the hokkaido hockey manga reprint not necessarily reprinted but remade and back in full force but yeah oh yeah this is an anime podcast i totally forgot about that um <laughs> most of the time but um, not necessarily over the past week and a half has there been any like major news in the sense that the only two major pieces that we've got are mostly related to alcohol in this case, considering that Bartender, the Glass of God, is going to be getting a television anime premiere next spring. So we're still going to have to wait an entire year for that show to come out. But to be fair, you basically got like a pseudo or spiritual successor to the original Bartender anime that aired back in 2006. But I'm kind of curious to see if this is going to be something that is going to be more related to the manga as a sequel or something that they're going to use as a new jumping off point to either start from scratch or just continue to where they left off. Considering that even though it is incredibly undersold and an incredibly basic scenario and set for any show to be focused that much on alcohol or mostly in the bartending industry, I'm kind of curious to see where this is going to go. Considering they're the ones that are going to be serving that alcohol in specific whiskey. 
since PA Works is going to be unveiling a new original anime film, Komada, A Whiskey Family, which is going to be released uh, sometime in November later this year, considering that this is going to be another installation in PA's workplace shows, because I've seen all of their previous works inside of this genre, and if I had to go in ascending order, you've probably got Akutopa in the White Sand, which worked in an aquarium, probably at the bottom. Then you've got Sock Request, which is working for a tourism industry outside the boonies. That's probably second to the bottom. But then the top two, you've still got Hanasaka Iroha, which worked as a onsen-related anime. And then you've got Shirobako, which is easily, like, one of the better shows that I've seen in the past decade, coming through revolving around the anime industry as a whole. So to be fair, if I had any recommendations, Shirobako is definitely at the top of that list, but I would definitely still give Hanasaki Iroha a try, considering that, sure, it is a slice of life in a much more idealistic, out-of-a-rural-setting kind of workplace comedy drama. Not, not so much. It's, it, it's kind of, like, all over the place, but I really do appreciate how you get invested in the rest of the family of those running the onsen specifically, and how they're able to go around and work out the problems that they've been able to afford inside of this industry. But for the anime film in question, I'm really curious to see how they're going to be going through and what the process is behind making most Japanese whiskeys. Because, to be fair, I am definitely a huge whiskey fan, love myself a little bit of bourbon, a little bit of scotch. But I'm kind of curious to see how the distillation process is a little more different in terms of Japan and how they've been able to make it their own. Considering that I've had a handful of their Japanese whiskeys and they haven't necessarily disappointed up to this point. Hibiki being probably one of my favorites. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to be able to go through, but PA Works is kind of like half and half with almost every single one of their productions, and that always that also remains the same for their workplace adaptations, but, well, who knows? Just got to give them the benefit of the doubt. So now on to the topic at hand, we end up getting to Makoto Shinkai's most recent film, Suzume as it has recently ended its theatrical run after six months in Japan, and it ended up surpassing weathering with used numbers at 108 million US dollars, but in this case, it's slowly trickling in through worldwide, but Tsuzume was able to go through and become the 14th highest earning film in Japan, and then the 8th highest anime film of all time in this case, with breaking just above 110 million US dollars, or in this case, 14.3 billion yen. And I got to see it with a buddy of mine, and... The more I think about the movie, the more I come to appreciate it a bit more in time, but that doesn't necessarily change the way I've been thinking about it in between his previous works. Because honestly, it still does fall under the same caveat of basically every single anime film he is going to make until the end of the time, in the sense that there is always going to be a piece of your name that is going to be forever ingrained in probably every single film that he creates from here on out. And as much as this phrase has been, like, drawn out to death over the course of several years of it just being used haphazardly to describe something... I'm, I'm not going to say it specifically in due to its quality, but I do believe that Suzume overall was mid. And by mid, I do believe that it is mid, smack dab in the middle, it is smack dab in the middle quality-wise of his entire body of work. So at the very least, I should give like a reference in kind of what my 
personal preferences are when it comes to Makoto Shinkai films, so at least you'll be able to give me, or I'll be able to get a, a little bit of my perspective as to why I'm thinking that it is, like, right in the middle of his ground. Because I still think Suzume is a good film. It is a... As much as I would like to give it a 7... No, I no, I think it's... I think I'm gonna give it a 7. It's like a strong 6 light 7 in the rest of it. Because there are, there are things that I did enjoy about it, especially being able to view it inside of the theater experience like, through IMAX as well. I don't remember if Weathering With You was displayed in IMAX when I ended up going to see it in theaters back in 2019, but Suzume, without a doubt, definitely was enhanced throughout that entire experience, having the opportunity to go see it in IMAX. So I can definitely not fault it for that. But going through the majority of his work, I think I'll kind of just work from the ground up through the rest of it, but at least his shorter works, so the ones like She and Her Cat and Voices of a Different St Distant Star, which are both good inside of a vacuum, inside their own respective, either their short five-minute films, or in this case, a short, you know, 15 to 25-minute showcase of what a singular talent can do when they are the ones that are lining up and trying to create what they want to create, especially considering that Makoto Shinkai ended up doing like 90% of this work by himself on Voices of a Distant Star. So considering that that was the quality that he was able to make back in 2002 with that kind of an industry, especially with the implementation of not only DigiPaint, but CG assets being used in a couple of pieces inside of anime films in general, what he was able to accomplish nearly on his own is incredibly spectacular, especially for somebody who was an up-and-coming as he was. Um, but in this case, so the rest of his films, which I do have basically cut in half thanks to Suzume, um, I'm still going to include five centimeters per sec... Er, I'm still going to include Garden of Words, even though it is below an hour, it definitely matches up to the rest of his work, so I'm going to include it in here. But basically, I've got three films of Shinkai's that are above Suzume, and three films of his that are below it. And I guess starting from the bottom, we'll probably do Children Who Chase Lost Voices, considering that this was a cinematic outing where you could really read the writing on the wall whenever it came to his inspirations, considering that he really wanted to make something that was so ghibli that it hurt. Especially with just the tiny mascots, the ancient civilizations that have been going through, the kind of monsters that are not only trying to keep her inside of a world outside of her own, but to try and find somebody and bring them back from this world regardless where it's just like you can just see bits and pieces of castle in the sky and princess mononoke and spirited away just sprinkled all throughout this entire piece of work that while still looks great as that is a consistent mark of quality in almost every single one of makoto shinkai's works it nothing about this got me invested in the relationships of the characters that are driving the story forward and not a lot of it really got me invested. Rather, like anything outside of the world, or the creatures, or just anything that made me invested in anything that was going on in the story. Like, probably the best part about that film was seeing our main girl at her lowest point, and dragging herself through a river being chased to essentially the ends of the earth by forces that want to keep her confined indefinitely, but she is at least able to go through and push 
to her limits and try her best to not only rekindle the relationships that he lost, but she, that she lost, but moving on to ones that have already been long gone. So it's just a piece of his catalog, but I don't necessarily think it should be gone back to. It should just be a cautionary tale whenever he decides to emulate anything else, because at least now he has definitely found his style and what he really wants to move forward with. Uh, although Place Promised in our early days was his first feature-length film, and he definitely felt like he came became mad with power, especially related to all the pseudoscience that he tried to go and fit inside of this world that was an alternate version of history that also has a lot of mysterious scientific and non-scientific findings that are screwing around with the world at large. And at le but at least through this one, he got the central relationships between his characters to work. Considering that I do believe that this film would have been a lot more easily digestible if it was, you know, the length of some of his previous works that would be about an hour long. Because this thing really does drag out its runtime all the way for an hour and a half, and it feels way too long for anything along those to kind of keep you invested, especially when the majority of the science that you're trying to listen to isn't necessarily interesting enough or based on a grounds that you'd be able to understand and just not leading you to have a lot of attachment towards any of the characters or through the rest of it that's going on. Although the climax does raise your spirits up and does create a bit more tension that you would have expected that the film was able to go, and eh, I don't know. It was fine. Especially for a guy... This was less than three years after he finished Voices of a Distant Star, and the fact that he went from something of that caliber all the way up to a feature-length film is definitely impressive. Now, Weathering With You is... I, uh, it was so weird. In <laughs> I have such a weird relationship with this film, considering that back in 2019, I went to TIFF for the first time, and I waited in line nine hours to see this film on opening weekend of... No, was, was it two or three days? It was either two or three days that it was having uh, screenings at TIFF, but I didn't get in to see, unfortunately, any of them. And the one day I waited nine hours, only to just fall short like less than 10 people in the line and so it was like okay well that's kind of unfortunate because because that was the major film that I wanted to see at TIFF and even though I did get to see a handful of other films that weekend I definitely took a lot of notes for any future endeavors whenever I decide to go to any other international film festival because it was my first so not seeing the one popular movie that a lot of others wanted to see, especially in the wake of him making your name, was definitely understandable and something that I'm going to at least think about more diligently moving forward if I ever come back to any more of the festivals. But Weathering With You was something that didn't get... Basically, I liked... Liked is a strong word. It's probably the most conflicting thoughts I have on any of Makoto Shinkai's works, Considering that a lot of people do like this over your name, and I can't for the life of me understand why. Because I think the major point is that the main boy in this film is just so insufferable and lost that you don't really know what to do with him. In the sense that he's fighting off nearly everybody that wants to help him. He's got good chemistry with the main gal, but they just... He is just such a, not a little shit, but you just want to see him learn anything and try to move forward 
with it, which he finally inevitably does by the end of the film, but almost every other side character that is going into this film basically just takes after his lead and going backwards and not helping him out to the point. Honestly, the best character inside of this entire movie was Hina's little sister, Nagi, because he's <laughs> he's a elementary school playboy who has more control over the scenarios than the teenagers or the adults in this film. Like, he's the one that is not only supporting his sister through some of the trying times in their events, but he's the one that not only goes through and helps Taki towards the end of this film. Like, he really does... He's the most proactive character in the movie, which is saying a lot, unfortunately, since if you're telling me that the most proactive and most impactful character inside of this movie is an 11-year-old, then that doesn't necessarily bode well for the rest of the cast inside of this fi film. But at least through the rest of it, I do believe that towards the end of the movie, you do get enough progression comparatively to the rest of the film because this was so similar to kind of the beats that you had in your name. And in this case, he was mostly taking a place promised in our early days when you've got supernatural findings that are related to the main girl inside of your story that th then the main character has to go and search for it in order to bring her back. So it was just... It started becoming a telling piece where at least, of course, if you're going to make a film that successful and you don't take after it from some point, it's definitely the easiest way for you to get a good baseline to create your next film and at least have something to jump off of that everybody else is going to be able to relate to. But it definitely didn't work as well as it would have for me. Although the one major positive thing I can say, because at this point you can definitely say that there's always one great memorable moment in every single one of Makoto Shinkai's films, no matter how big the film, no matter how big the movie is. But I mean, the skydiving scene inside of Weathering With You was worth the price of admission alone. It was gorgeous. So Weathering With You is probably not the most controversial, but probably the one that I have the biggest gap in in terms of what everybody else thought of it where a lot of people thought it was like good or great i thought it was definitely just a step back in terms of his progression which is definitely understandable after making your name but i don't know whether with you is still in like the bottom half to me of his catalog but in terms of the top half it's a little awkward to say that his shorter films between 45 and 60 minutes probably get more done than the other body of his work considering that basically Suzume is right in the middle of it, and I do believe that both 5 centimeters per second and Garden of Words are basically better than that. They both do an exceptional job with the time that they're given. Honestly, if you submitted the first part of 5 centimeters per second as a 30-minute short film, honestly, watching it most recently, it has definitely been holding up over the years. Probably the second and third parts don't really do as good of a job even though this the third part has definitely grew on me over the over the couple of years especially considering how the half like half of the final part of the film was basically just a long like setup considering that the last part of the considering that the last half of the last part of the movie is basically a music video that would lead into a lot of the stuff that he would be pushing into not all of his films but still some of them leading up afterwards it does a really good job, and especially with how they're able to portray distance and time 
and having the main two leads move further and further away and how one deals with it compared to the other, how one is able to consistently hold on and never let go of that one fleeting blissful piece of romance that they had as they were kids, and the first meaningful connection that they made with another person in their life compared to one who still held on to it but couldn't necessarily give him the opportunity, especially with the limitations of the technology of the time. But I do still think that Five Centimeters holds up to this day. The same can be said of Garden of Words. It is pro it is like between Five Centimeters and Garden of Words, Garden of Words it's it's really close between the two of them. Cause it is probably since they were able to condense it down to about 45 minutes, his best looking film inside of his entire catalog, what he's able to do with the time allotted and what he's able to do with the major park lined around Tokyo inside of those gardens in the rain in the sun in the storms in basically every kind of environment the settings even though inside the school is incredibly basic they're able to do a lot of work with it especially show how confined it is based on what the two main characters are going through but how they're able to frame considering that it's incredibly easy for the characters to go out on their own because they both love going to this specific part whenever it's raining. And having that be a very consistent theme where it's just, man, couldn't be me, because I'm not necessarily too much of a fan of the rain whenever it starts consistently going off back to back to back to back to back days. But whenever you have that opportunity and it's just, man, I hope it can rain soon so I could go see them again, that's honestly a really nice piece. Especially... Like the same deal, there's always one phenomenal scene in almost every Makoto Shinkai film, and that's probably just the one day that the two mains, regardless of their age, get to spend together and unwind and relax and just be with each other. And that's always the scene that I come back to whenever I keep thinking about this film, and it still holds up to this day, and I, I know I've been <laughs> sounding like a broken record with that phrase consistently, but it's definitely something that I would recommend, especially after watching either Suzume or Weathering With You, considering what the weather does towards the, both of the shows. Rain has been a very common, you know, setting and motif for a lot of Makoto Shinkai's works, and it's definitely something that he's probably going to be moving forward. Since, I would say, outside of that, I would want to see him use more snow like he did in 5 centimeters per second. That's going to be the next one that he'll probably include inside of his next film. That I can hope for. But I still don't think it, it, it would be a miracle for him to top your name in his lifetime. I still do think that your name, even though I haven't watched it in a couple of years, it still remains probably my favorite anime film of all time. And it's going to take a lot to get over that kind of a bar. Because... Your Name basically took every single positive piece of the works that he did before and condensed them into an easily compacted country-spanning drama and romance that still to this day is probably one of the biggest sighs of relief that I have ever seen out of any, any single crown. Because I mean, Makoto Shinkai in almost every, well basically every single one of his works always deals with the themes of distance and time and how that affects the relationships between two specific people. And basically, every major relationship that the film focuses on in every single one of his films prior to your name always ended up with a separation or an agreement to part ways or something that will relieve you of your relationships through death or time or anything that, the, <laughs> that he will dictate will remain to keep the main two characters inside the romance apart. And the fact that he did that 
for over 15 years to finally finish it off with a crescendo and an exclamation point towards the end of your name and be like, nope, you know what, these two. I'm gonna let these two have a happy ending. And it was just a phenomenal just send-off and conclusion to that kind of story and to that kind of point in his career. Because your name, and like, because it hits all the right notes and it also, like, pokes at a lot of, like, my personal favorite things considering that because you still have the AMV-style editing pieces that you see in Guard of Words, five centimeters per second, Place Promise in our early days, and he ends up doing it multiple times consistently and not dropping a single sweat, having consistent bangers back to back to back to back. Radwimps was just a phenomenal choice, and now they're basically set for life, especially with not only the work that he's going to be doing with Makoto Shikai in the future, but you could basically just sell that entire soundtrack and that vinyl and perform that for the rest of your days, and you will never have to worry about another job ever again. So Radwimps is basically set for life, and to be fair, they deserved it, especially with what they were able to create specifically for this story. And so considering it as a phenomenal soundtrack, it is gorgeous to look at, and a very satisfying conclusion to a couple that you can only root for consistently with all the challenges that they've set before him, I would be happy. I would still be happy if not a single movie ever surpasses your name inside of the anime sphere, but I'm, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I'm just glad that this one still exists. So now to finally get to Suzume. Suzume as a whole, it's, it's, it's a fine movie. He did end up finally weaning, uh, Makoto Shinkai ended up finally weaning himself off of Radwim's soundtrack. He saved that entirely until the credits. The visuals, it, it looks good in the countryside. It's weird to say that from your name to Weathering With You to Suzume, it, the effects work is still top-notch and the rendering and the shading is still phenomenal, but Considering how poorly implemented CG crowds were thrown into this, a lot of the infrastructure and the automobiles that are shown throughout this, if the automobiles are not shaded and drawn correctly, then their models really stick out like a sore thumb, and it's definitely something that takes you out of the moment. There are bits and pieces of the film that kind of fall out of the path where you don't necessarily know who's in control or why things are happening, or who's supposed to be the antagonist outside of, is it just a, is it something that is relied upon a bored and jealous god, or is it something that is relating to a lot of the natural disasters that Japan ends up going through? You do finally get answers to those questions, but they're not necessarily satisfying ones. But then you essentially just have Suzume taking after Children of Chaos Lost Voices, which is going through a supernatural element and trying to find not only the body, but the way to bring back the person that this one quote-unquote loves. And then also going after your name, where your name was definitely an allegory to try and see what you can do to rewind the past and hopefully save the ones that you had loved inside of a natural disaster that is completely outside of your control, where Makoto Shinkai has said in the past that the Tohoku earthquake and subsequent damage from the nuclear reactor that ended up getting hit by the impending tsunamis that also lined up was mostly his inspiration behind changing a couple of the story beats inside of your name, but then you also have this film directly referencing that event all the way back in 2011 as its major point that has been, that has caused a rift inside of the family of Suzume's entire being, but it's just, 
I don't know. It's a little bit of a jumbled mess in between a lot of it. I do like the overall structure of the story, to be honest, where it's basically just a road trip spanning the majority of the country of Japan to kind of like going back and forth and helping those who can also help you in return, especially if you're acting like a runaway, as Suzume does. And seeing the unrelenting kindness of the people that she meets along her journey, just to find this real awkwardly set up god that's just kind of like, yo, dude, we understand you left your post, but could you just figure out your motivation already? Where it's like, hey, do you want to go back because you like Suzume, or do you want to just give her trouble because you removed him from a post, or you've been bored for several centuries, so you want to go and cause a little bit of havoc? It's just kind of like you don't know, because at the end of the day, they, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, it's just a lot of the motivations revolving around one of the antagonists of the series, which you can, which is mostly an antagonist, but then also just kind of like, haha, fuck you, I'm just doing things just for the sake of being mischie mischievous, especially with how he turns the main love interest into a chair with three legs, which to be fair, the chair looks good. It was really funny and interesting to see how the majority of the conflicts revolved around this chair and how that brought forward. And I would like to say the main two have a lot of chemistry, but they just, I don't know, they just don't. You didn't, she was definitely talking to him on a day-by-day -day basis. You're like, oh no, I've fallen in love with this dude at first sight. Even though he turned into a chair, I still want to stand on him, sit on him, like throw cautious glances at him. Because it's like, I understand, like honestly, what I do find refreshing about Suzume as a protagonist is that she knows what she wants and she goes after it. She continuously chases after the rogue gods. She consistently gets into pieces in order to help close the doors that have been opening up around the country. And this dude who, oh, I, I can't remember, he's going in through teacher's college, so I can't tell if he's 19 or if he's early 20s. I believe he's early 20s, because he's, a, oh, man, it, I don't know, it was it was kind of tough. The, the age gap didn't necessarily bother me, because there's barely an age gap to begin with. Like, if you want an age gap, then definitely go to Garden of Words. That's definitely something that's a little more. But it's just that she falls in love with him at first sight, and then he turns into a chair for the majority of the time that she spends with him, and then she's still, like, falls madly in love with him to the point that she will try to go to the ends of this earth to try and find and bring his body back is just kind of like, okay, I do appreciate how driven you are, but man, girl, you just really want this chair, don't you? It's like, I don't even know. The, the chemistry, even the chemistry between the two of them when he's a chair and she's just, like, going around is just kind of like, uh not really built up as much as I would have liked. How they how they get out of scenarios and how the chair acts around people in order to act like, say, an inanimate object. Like, the, I will admit, for Suzume, it's probably one of the better movies inside of Makoto Shinkai's catalog when it comes to comedy. Because there are a lot of good, funny moments inside of this movie that, like, really got me chuckling and got a lot of good rouses out of the audience. And it was really good in terms of the connections that Suzume was able to make along her journey. And those, to me, were the more important ones. I kind of do wish that we got a little more time for her to talk with her aunt. But it's just, the chemistry between the main two is always the one that I'm going to go back to whenever it comes to Makoto Shinkai works. Like, Weathering With You had the opposite problem where you could kind of see where the chemistry got better of the main two. 
as the movie went on, but then the rest of the supporting cast outside of Hina's brother basically started falling off the face of the map. Whereas Suzume, I didn't necessarily get the chemistry between the two main characters, but the relationships that Suzume had with all the supporting cast gradually got better as the course of the movie continued. So it was just such a weird middle ground for that to kind of take place. And even though I said that there are a couple of pieces where the CG is poorly implemented inside of the film, a lot of it still looks gorgeous, especially whenever she is fighting to close the doors and the specific sound that it makes when she finally puts the key in the lock. I'm so glad they continuously repeated that same sound over and over and over again, because if you're going to be having that as the climactic sound to your movie, you gotta make sure it's not only mixed correctly, but it sounds satisfying. And every single time she ended up closing a door, it was easily one of the most satisfying moments of the film, especially with how IMAX is able to really reverberate that sound throughout the entire theater. So those were honestly phenomenal moments whenever they came up on screen. So as the movie kind of went on, I did appreciate how more and more people ended up Elevating Suzume, especially giving her more motivation to help more and more people as the story went on. The middle part after the first awkward climax of the movie was definitely something that was a little shaky whenever it came to that sort of stuff. But I did really like the the road trip all the way back uh, to the starting point, which was honestly one of the better ones. It, it was kind of funny considering that when the guy was playing a lot of the stuff that he had sitting on his playlist... Instead of necessarily copying Ghibli like he did in The Children Who Chased Lost Voices with a couple of the pieces that he incorporated into his film, he did still end up taking the main one of the main songs from Kiki's Delivery Service. And I still haven't gone back to look at the other two songs that the dude had on his playlist, but I swear that both of them have got to be either insert songs from other like Japanese media or ones that are specifically inside of animated films but, I don't know, time will tell. At some point, they'll release it and people will have a better opportunity to go through and analyze the music. But I did kind of find that interesting where even though he's not necessarily taking direct calls from that film, he's still finding ways to incorporate that into his mainline stories. But yes, it was, at the end of the day, would I recommend somebody to go see Suzume? It's a tough sell. Honestly, it's not something that's going to waste your time. Because at, at the end of the day, when I think back about my experience with this film, did I dislike it? No. Did I absolutely adore it? In very minute points. There's always one, like I said before, there's always one scene in every single Makoto Shinkai film that almost makes the price of admission worth it. But as an overall package... I would still recommend going to go see... If you haven't already seen your name, then definitely go go for that one on the top of it. And then probably five centimeters and then Garden of Words. If you want to keep going and going through to finish off the rest of his catalog, then that's probably the next one that you should go for. Because he still has a lot of good ideas left in him, but I'm really hoping that he's going to be able to closely reach the heights that your name reach once again at some point in his career. He's... And I guess another thing I would want to point out, all these, uh, what is it, like basically all the comparisons that they started making about him back in 2016, where it's like, is Makoto Shinkai the next Miyazaki, where it's just, I absolutely fucking hate those things, because it's so clickbaity and just so ridiculous to that point where it's just, there's never going to be another Miyazaki, there's never going to be another Satoshi Kon, there's never going to be another Masaki Iwasa, it's just, they want to throw that term around like it's a hot potato to the next big director that's making waves. 
if I had to weigh in and it's not who's going to be the next Miyazaki, it's going to be who is the next worldwide public face of Japanese anime films. That is the major question that you should be asking. And if those are the specific parameters that you want to grade somebody on that question, then yes, I do believe that Makoto Shinkai is the next big worldwide face of Japanese anime films, especially with the consistent success and quote-unquote quality that has been able to bring ever since Your Name, I mean, honestly, ever since Garden of Words. He's been still very consistent in a lot of the works that he's been able to make over the past decade, and in this case, if you want a guaranteed sell of any major director inside of J working Japan today, then yes, Makoto Shinkai is definitely going to be the number one man that you are going to go through and ask on any of those questions. So, honestly, if on my final thoughts, I really do appreciate how driven Suzume is as a main character. She knows what she wants and she goes after it consistently. She's good at banter. She's good at work. She's good at making friends. She's... <laughs> She's good at making connections. She is very forward in a lot of the stuff that she's able to do. And she is a very focused and accomplished individual, even through the time that she is in the middle of high school. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future she would probably take her skills over to Japan to go and kind of figure out how she's going to be using this newfound vision of hers. But only time will tell. I can kind of see where that would go at the end of the story. But uh, once again, it's another relationship that's going to be separated by once again distance and time and if there is only one negative thing that i can say about makoto shinkai is that it's his repetition so i mean hopefully we'll be able to see a more interesting look at his catalog in the next three years or so when he ends up making his new film but uh i don't know we'll just have to wait and see cheers have a good one